Welcome to the Inside Zone podcast, the NFL podcast equivalent of a Super Bowl rematch at Wembley that you won free tickets to. I'm Nick Dunkerson. Joining me today is Inside Zone Editor-in-Chief Tom Lyke, but we've also got a special guest from Inside the Pylon, Locked On Patriots podcast and Bleacher Reports NFL 1000. He's a quarterback guru there, Mark Schofield. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking time to come and put up a pair of limeys, convinced they know something about football. How well, are you doing? I, I'm doing well. Let's be frank here. I'm not sure I know anything about football, but I'm, I'm here to try at least, at least help. And Nick, it's good to to finally talk to you. I mean, the last two times I've been on with, with Tom, you, you kind of ducked me and I was starting to <laughs> start to feel bad about it, but it's good to finally hear your voice, my friend. Yeah. The, good to talk to you. I think I was just generally intimidated by um, the intellect of an actual real American who's probably steeped in football culture rather well, than I mean, kind of part-time more than hobbyist. Anything, it's probably the Boston accent. It, it, <laughs> it can be intimidating at times. And I understand that. I get a lot of confused looks. I mean, let's just say I'll, I'll tell a quick story here. The movie Goodwill Hunting, obviously, Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Boston guys, Boston accents. I saw that movie in El Paso, Texas, of all places. And I was the only person in the theater that understood it because of the accents. And I got a lot of, I let me say, quizzical looks as I looked around the theater and people just didn't quite understand the entire plot because they couldn't understand the accent. I felt like a smart man for once in my life. <laughs> That, that sounds a bit like try, um, my experience is trying to watch Train Spotting with their thick and Glaswegian Oh, yeah. So we, we've, go. we've got a nice comparison for Boston there. There we um, go. Boston and Glasgow. That's, um, don't think either would complain at that. Anyway, shall we get on with the show? Because this week, um, inevitably, we're going to be previewing the divisional round games. And we've got some absolute corkers and also Titans Patriots. Um, <laughs> we're also going to look at the four eliminated teams. So just one thing they can do to maybe go a bit further next year. So... Without further ado, let's get to the games. And first up, the early game on Saturday, kicking off at a positively afternoony 9.40pm UK time. The NFC 6 seed Atlanta Falcons travel to the one seed Philadelphia Eagles. And I guess the big question we're all wondering around this game is, can 2018 Nick Foles do enough for Philly? Mark, you've probably watched enough bad quarterbacks doing the NFL 1000 to make your eyes water. Is Foles a good enough bad quarterback for what Philly needs? I, I think a good enough bad quarterback is probably the best way to describe Nick Foles. And yeah, Nick, like you said, there, there was a really bad quarterback play here in, in the 2017-18 NFL season. I mean, we could be upfront and honest about that. And Nick Foles, his last two outings were in that category. You look at what he was able to do when he made his first start against the Giants. They had some stuff that they schemed open, some slot, some fade routes from the slot, some designed throws where you show screen route and then throw vertical routes. They were able to scheme some guys open against the Giants defense that I think we can all admit was not one of the better defenses in the league this year. But then they sort of had a stumble block and you know, he had a bad outing against an Oakland Raiders team that was also a bad defense when you'd expect to see much more from them and just didn't look that good at all in the season finale in the limited time that he saw. And so the question becomes, you know, can Frank Reich, can you know DeFilippo, the quarterback coach, can head coach Doug Peterson do some stuff schematically to attack Atlanta's defense and to get Foles comfortable in the pocket? And you know, sitting here right now, I think with the bye week, they'll be able to do enough of that where they should be able to get by Atlanta. But it's going to be tough. And 
on the flip side, if Atlanta can get pressure on Falls, if they can get Grady Jarrett going, you know, as a pass rusher, if they can get some interior pressure and get Falls to sort of speed up his process and have to make quicker decisions, this game could get away from Philadelphia. So that's sort of where I see this game playing out. Can Falls be comfortable or is he going to be uncomfortable? Because that's been the recipe for disaster for him. Yeah, um, and, I, and, I th- and I think that that's, that's an interesting one. Certainly, uh, Philadelphia, we've always thought of as having this fantastically good O-line. But Atlanta's defence, and especially their interior pass, and Grady Jarrett, is um, really becoming the sort of a strength this last kind of um, month or so of the season. I mean, Tom, do you think there's um, that there's hope here for um, well, Atlanta to get through this O-line? No, oh, I, th- I think definitely. I think that... Um... But I think the biggest thing that's going to come down is not going to be one in the trenches. It's going to be, can Nick Foles connect with his playmakers downfield? Because you know Nick Foles hasn't got the strongest of arm. It's normally dink and dunk, racking up plenty of yards after catch. But he's going to struggle against this uh, Atlanta team who've got kind of track stars who are very sure field, short and great in open field tackling. And then we saw last week the speed Atlanta had against LA that it's not just when they play in domes that they, that they look like track stars. I mean, these are legitimate. You know, we've got... Robert Alford, Truffaut, they're quick, quick on the corner. Then we've got Campbell, Jones, Neil in the back end. You know, these, 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 are, these, are, these are athletic linebackers and safeties who are coming down and shutting everything down in the flat. So I think Nick Foles is going to have to try and test them deep and try and look to maybe beat them up the seams in this one. Yeah, I, th- I think Campbell against Ertz is going to be an interesting matchup. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really interesting point about Campbell and Ertz. And, you know, the Eagles do love to get the tight ends involved, not just sort of up the scenes, but they'll scheme some stuff sort of on the outside as well, where they're not afraid to throw screens to them. They're not afraid to use them sort of downfield in the passing game along the boundary as well. And so you wonder if that's going to be Peterson's approach in this game. You know, addressing sort of the points that Tom raised about the athleticism in the secondary, maybe Peterson and the offensive staff try to get the tight ends involved, try to get mismatches and scheme those guys open, maybe against linebackers, sort of in in space, try to get them the football quickly, give full some defined reads in the passing game to get the ball to Ertz, maybe to Burton as well, and see if they attack Atlanta's defense that way. Yeah, I mean, for me, my X factor is I kind of flip it on the head as what you said, Nick. So for me, the X factor is the... Philadelphia Eagles front seven versus Atlanta's O-line, you know, mm. can can they totally dominate and wreck the game plan, give Foles and the offense a chance? I mean, the weakness for Atlanta is those two guards, and can Fletcher Cox, Finney Curry, you know, plenty of twists and stunts, can they take advantage of that and, you know, make the make the game competitive for a while? That That's what I think is going to be the key here. I feel like this Philly D-line, you can um, sort of pick any rotation of the depth chart and you've possibly got, a, at worst, a top 10 D-line in the league. It's absolutely incredible. I mean, when, you, when you've got sort of Chris Long and Derek Barnett coming in as um, rotation, they picked up Timmy, Timmy Jernigan for absolutely nothing. Um, but the one thing with that is, I mean, if you watch them, um, look, looking back at sort of Falcons um, beat win over Rams last week, um, the Rams' D-line was incredible. Aaron Donald was sort of wrecking the game, and yet it still wasn't enough. I mean, they were getting so much pressure on Matt Ryan, and he was doing enough to um, to deal with it. And if, if 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 Matt Ryan can cope with O-line kind of collapsing from the middle outwards, which he sort of was, I mean, that's another issue for Philly to deal with because their secondary is precocious and not necessarily the most consistent, I guess. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think with... You know, looking at that sort of matchup, that front seven from Philadelphia against Matt Ryan, 
you know, Ryan's been through games like this before. He's much better face and pressure. And Steve Sarkeesian, the offensive quarter, they do sort of scheme some stuff where they'll get him outside the pocket. They'll run those play action boots and waggles to get him away from pressure. They did some of that you know, against the Rams last week. So that will be something to watch. How quickly do they turn to that aspect of their passing game? How quickly do they try to get Ryan sort of on the edges, away from interior pressure? Because if they do that, they can sort of neutralize that pass rush, and then it'll set up those those chances to, you know, attack those guys in the secondary who might be, as you said, precocious, a little bit younger, you know, maybe not experienced for a moment like this. So that's another aspect of it. You have a very experienced team, obviously made a Super Bowl run last year against, you know, a younger team that's sort of starting to feel their way in a big game, big environment like this one. Um, one other quick question. Um, I think we'd be we'd be banned from podcasting as a British NFL podcast if we didn't mention him. And I can hear Tom rolling his eyes. Um obviously Jay Ajay, London's Jay Ajay, Britain's Jay Ajay. Mark, if you've missed this, it's quite tiresome anytime JJ gets mentioned by anyone involved with NFL in the UK it's London's JJ Britain's JJ please just stop it but he's a potential difference maker in this game I, I think so and that sort of gets us into you know, the the ideas that we kicked around for how the Eagles might sort of attack in the passing game you know they might do some stuff with a giant in the passing game as well they've always liked to use screens to the tight ends to the wide receivers and to a giant they got them involved in some screen stuff earlier in this year maybe they get them involved that way also the outside zone stretch zone stuff where you get away from that interior run at the edges of this atlanta defense that could be a recipe as well to get some yardage on the ground and sort of grind the ball game take more off full shoulders so he could certainly play a big role in this game i'm just more than anything i'm just really curious to see how the eagles sort of approach this game from an offensive standpoint whether it's you know up the seams getting the tight ends involved down the field or just trying to grind it out with a jai it's going to be very interesting to see their scripted sort of first 10 15 plays that would really give us a sense of what they did what they game planned for and how they they're going to approach this game cool do we reckon we can get some predictions from you two I'm going to get Tom to go first so that um, oh. he can't copy off your homework, Mark. Do you want to, do you want to, do you want to score or do you want the team? Um, what, whatever you're feeling bold and brave enough to do, Tom. Um, and um, I, we, will be, we will be judging your, uh, kind of, your, your kind of heart on the basis of how much you will, are willing to predict. Atlanta wins by four. Atlanta wins by four. Okay. Okay. I'll go 23-20 Philly. I, I think... Yeah, I think Philly will have the advantage of the bye week, and they'll be able to do some stuff to at least get Foles comfortable enough to win this game. I think that it's a Philly win for me. I, I mean, we know that the Falcons oh. O-line, it, yeah, it, it fell apart against the Rams, and that was good enough. Can it be good enough to I, I feel like you, you get lucky if your O-line falls apart and you still win, and I don't think Atlanta are going to get lucky twice. That's my feeling. Shall we move on to the late game Saturday? I mean, it's the aforementioned foregone conclusion in the AFC as the five seed Titan. Five seed? What were they? The six seed? Five they were the five seed, weren't they? They were the five seed, yeah. They were the five seed. Travel to Foxborough to take on the New England Patriots. Now, I mean, for all that we've heard these rumours this week of internal organisational strife in New England, you can bet your bottom dollar Bring it, it, on. Is not going, it is not going to make a blind bit of difference to the Patriots on the field. I mean, per odds, Shark. New England are thirteen point five point oh. favourites. Thirteen point five points. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm feeling certain enough about this game that I'm going to ask: What can Tennessee do to cover the spread? 
Well, I, I think the first thing that they have to do is establish the run game with Derrick Henry. You go back and you watch how they were able to get by Kansas City, and it really sort of fed off the run game because so much of what the Titans do in the offensive game in general, both in the run game and the pass game, feeds off of run action, whether it's RPO stuff, whether it's play action. You know, Mariota's best at play action, one of the best at it. And so I think when you look at this game, if they can get the ground game going, if they can get Derrick Henry going, they can have those plays where they get those combination blocks up front, which they did so effectively against Kansas City last week, where you get a double team and then one guy goes to the second level. They can do enough to keep this a one-score game at the half, and then who knows what happens. I mean, I do think, I look at that spread, I look at 13 and a half, and this just feels to me as you know the host of the Locked On Patriots podcast who's been watching the Patriots over the past 10, 15 years and the sort of run that they've had. This feels like one of those games that they win, and maybe it's a 10-point game, but it never really feels like it's a blowout. It's just it, maybe it comes down where Tennessee has a possession late in the game to go down the field, get a touchdown, and recover the onside kick and make it a game. It just kind of feels like that kind of game to me. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think it's kind of got that trap game feel because it, everyone feels like it's kind of a foregone conclusion that we're going to get Steelers uh, Patriots AFC Championship game. But I wrote about this earlier in the week about what Dick LeBeau can do to try and slow down Tom Brady. And you know, LeBeau, the guy who is, his name is associated with his own blitz, you know, ma- masking disguises, uh, blitzes and stuff. Brady's six and two all time versus Dick LeBeau. Now, what Dick LeBeau is going to have to do is he can't make it obvious where the pressure is going to come from, so he's going to have to stunt and twist and use green dog blitzes like Miami did in Week 14. I think that Week 14 performance—I know Gronk wasn't there—but Miami kind of laid down the blueprint of how to stop it. You play press aggressive on the outside to take away the timing element of this offense, and then you've kind of got to use green dog blitzes where if the tight end stays in there, you've got to send people loose off the edge, but. The problem there was that Miami didn't have Gonkowski to deal with, and the problem for Tennessee all season has been covering tight ends. Both their safeties are five foot nine, five foot ten. They've got smaller cornerbacks, and they've got slow linebackers and excelling coverage. I mean, they were shredded last week by Kelsey in the first half, and I mean, New England have got quite a good tight end, don't they, Mark? He he's pretty good. The last time I checked, and I do think that that. You know, to your point, Tom, the game really changed last week when Kelsey won out because it really sort of neutralized one of Kansas City's best weapons against this Titans team, which was Kelsey attacking those linebackers. And, you know, that's going to be a question that the Titans defense faces as we head into this week. How are they going to handle Rob Gronkowski when, you know, the Chiefs went Y ISO and put the tight end alone to one side of the formation. They tried Jonathan Cyprian on him. At times they tried Bayer the second year, strong safety on him. It's going to be similar with what do you do with Gronkowski. I think their best bet is to try some sort of bracket coverage with a linebacker and then Cyprian over the top and you can use Bayer to do some different stuff all over the field because I, I do like what he brings to that defense. But that's sort of the question mark for not just the Titans but any team that plays New England. What's going to be the answer for 87? How are you going to handle Gronkowski? Because he's so difficult to just, you know, it's hard to find a defender to just say, look, you, you're going to go cover 87. We'll take care of the rest of the guys. It, you can't find a defender who can truly do that in one-on-one fashion. Now in their season finale against Buffalo, I mean, against the Jets, excuse me, they did sort of neutralize Rob Gronkowski with bracket coverage on with a dedicated safety over the top. I'm curious to see if that's what they try to do, but then you're sort of asking for trouble. You're asking for Brady to sort of find somebody else, whether it's Brandon Cooks, whether it's Danny Amendola, whether it's Philip Dorsett or Malcolm Mitchell, who they might have back for this game. And so it does set up badly, I think, for the Titans. I think New England does win this game. 
Yeah, I, I think it, it, it's a horrible matchup for the Titans. Um, one other thing that uh, you mentioned, Kelsey going out for the Chiefs turning game. I think also Chris Jones going out as well. Yeah, um, um, did did for them. And and I think about just sort of thinking sort of on the opposite side, you've got you've got someone who is that kind of similar quality player at the same position for the Titans in Jarrell Casey. Can he be a player to make a difference, or do you think that I think he would match up against Joe Tooney rather than Shaq Mason in the way that Tennessee played? Do you think that he could get through and get pressure on Brady from the inside because it feels like that's their best bet of getting pressure. Yeah, and you know, if there is a quote weak link in the pass protection scheme for New England, it has been Thune who has at times, you know, struggled with, you know, quick sort of defensive tackles up front. You can do some twist stuff attacking him and there are times when he'll, you know, miss a slide one way or the other and he'll give up a free shot at Tom Brady. And so I think if you're Dick LeBeau, if you're Tennessee, you're going to try to attack, you know, that left A gap. You're going to attack Thudy's, you know, inside right shoulder or even the B gap between him and left tackle Nate shoulder. I think that's sort of the way to attack this, this offensive line and do some twist stuff. They showed that little fire zone blitz where they – they sugar the A-gap with a linebacker, and he comes, you drop a defensive end. There were times when the Chiefs couldn't get that blocked up. I'm sure New England will be ready for that, and then you wonder what sort of adjustment off of that the bow makes. But, yeah, that's the guy to attack. I think you've got it exactly right. And if Thudy can stand up and have a solid enough game, then Tom Brady will have pretty clean pockets to throw from. But if he can't, you know, then you're talking about can Brady slide and move and do the kind of some things you know, off script away from the spot that he's been able to do at times and at other times has struggled with. I mean, we um, sort of stepping slightly away from the game and sort of looking a bit more at the teams. We saw this week that Tennessee have said that they are planning to stick with Mike Malarkey as head coach next year. Um, His job was, I I feel quite rightly under scrutiny. Um, What does this mean for Marcus Mariota? Is there any way that next year with another year of Mike Malarkey in this very, I guess, unhelpful offense for him that he can make progress or does he just need to get out of town or get a new coach or Tennessee needs to get a new coach? Yeah. Watching Mariota this year, it has been frustrating because, you know, I was really expecting him to make a nice sort of developmental leap this year and coming into this year over Bleacher Report when I ranked, you know, AFC quarterbacks before the season, it was Brady, it was Roethlisberger, it was Mariota for me. I was that high on him coming into this year and, We've seen the results. There's been a regression offensively from a conceptual standpoint. They have it. They've sort of hamstrung him in a way. The route concepts have been poor at times. You look at the interception he threw against Kansas City. It was just a poorly designed route, very compressed. It allowed one defender to cover two receivers, and it resulted in an interception. I think you're right in that Malarkey was rightfully under pressure. I think you know winning a road playoff game in the first round probably saved his job, but. I do think they need to open up this playbook a bit more. This exotic smash mouth, it can be a component, but I don't think you need to determine, you know, run your whole offense that way. Spread it out a little bit more and put more on Mariotto's shoulders because he's a good, capable quarterback who can play in this league. It's just I think the offense is more an anchor around his legs than anything else. Yeah, I, I agree with Mark. I think the scheme at times has been too rigid. I mean, Mariota is best when the launch point changes and there's kind of these designed rollouts. And the refusal to play up tempo is something that even his own players are questioning. I think Rashad Matthews, the former Dolphins receiver, he came out and spoke to the media a couple of weeks ago saying, we just told Mariota to go out there and play his own game. So, I mean, are they are they actively rebelling against what the coach is saying? It, it, it seems like that, even though they're in the playoffs this year, which is great, that might actually hurt the franchise in the long term. 
do we really want to do predictions for this game? Because we're just going to say Patriots, Patriots, Patriots. Okay, I, um, I, I think Patriots, but I think Patriots by five. I don't think that I think the spread is too is too generous, perhaps. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at this like 30-20 New England. I, I do think it's a two-score game, but it's they're not going to cover. I don't think they cover the thirteen and a half or fourteen that I've seen. I well, in that case, I'm going to predict that the spread will be covered. Oh, and, there you go. Yeah. So just because you guys didn't and. Um, Keep it interesting. Yeah. For, for regu- regular listeners will know Mark might not be aware. I'm, I'm I'm very down on the Patriots. I have this kind of sort of general dread that they will ultimately win everything all the time. And uh, um, it's a British thing. For we love underdogs, and the Patriots are not. Let's move on, shall we? Game three. Before I uh, overly offend um, the New Englander too much, the early game is the 6 p.m. Sunday game in the UK, and that's the other AFC matchup. As the three-seed Jacksonville Jaguars, which still is weird to say, travel to the two-seed Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, so Saxonville versus the Killer Bees. And it's a revenge game. Um, well, for an early in season matchup, week three, I think it was, um, when um, Jacksonville picked off, picked off Ben Roethlisberger five times, as he had the sort of the one of those games that he does now and again. But it's a jaw-dropping Jags defense. And I think five interceptions is probably a bit unreasonable to expect again. But... Um, starting with Tom, do you think the Jags' defense can stop the Pittsburgh enough to make up for their own offense? Well, I mean, the Jacksonville Jaguars' defense had probably the perfect game uh, last time these two teams met back, back in Week Five. I mean, Blake, um, Blake, oh, sorry, Ben Roethlisberger was openly openly questioning whether he could be a quarterback anymore. That that's how <laughs> that's how much they shell shocked him. So, I mean, for Jacksonville, I I think the defense will be fine. They're playing against a, a very good Pittsburgh O line, and. For me, the game kind of comes down to Leonard Fournette. I mean, he is so central to that team, not just for the offense, but also for the defense. I mean, if we're forced to see Blake Bortles throw 25, 30-plus times, we know that they're going to go three and out and that this defense is going to be gassed. Therefore, they're going to just gash him with Bell and the killer bees. So I think for me, this, this game all comes down to Leonard Fournette. I know he's been struggling with injuries recently, and any time he's had more than 20 rushing attempts this year, they're undefeated. So if they can you know, saddle up Bell, load up, um, saddle up Fournette, load up the, the young back, I think that that could be a key to the game here. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's the, the sort of this, I mean, niggling injuries and super stacked boxes, I think, um, sort of for early season Fournette looked fantastic, and his um, his sort of yards per attempt, and just the, the, the perceived threat that he offers seems to have kind of gone, kind of decreased as the season's gone on. It's a bit, it's a bit of a shame to watch when you spent the number four pick. I mean, just sort of having a look at um, his game logs now, or I would be if um, my computer hadn't just frozen. Yeah, he's kind, of, um, he's kind of fallen off the last couple of weeks. But I, I mean, for 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 Jacksonville's defense, they're very, they're a very athletic lot, and I mean, that's one of the things that I've identified here is that I think Le'Veon Bell, he's going to have to run north-south. I know that normally he's very patient, he likes to look for holes east and run east-west, but you can't really one side on the side on against this Jacksonville team. I mean, the, the corners are far too aggressive at the line, the linebackers are extremely athletic, and then you've got Paul Puzlusny, who's just a tackling machine, so I think that, you know, Jacksonville, they do have, they are 22nd in run defense, so Maybe that could be somewhere that Pittsburgh tries to exploit them. And I think that Big Ben, after what happened last time, he's going to be reluctant to try and throw the ball all over the park against them. And I guess that's the main thing. If um, Pittsburgh don't need to, as, as good as this sort of pass rush is, if Pittsburgh don't need to throw the ball, if they can lean on the run, then that sort of takes out, that sort of takes out most of the, ja- the the best part of the Jags' D. It's, it's those corners. It's those, pass, it's those um, defensive ends. And... 
do you think that there is a pretty good chance that they can get through this, um, Mark? That they can get through that um, defensive front and start taking the pressure off Roethlisberger? I do think so. And when you, you know when you look at Jacksonville defensively, obviously they're a top five defense, fourth right now in DVOA. You know, behind just Minnesota, Arizona, and Philadelphia. No, but they're still 26th against the run in DVOA. They're historically good pass defense, but the run defense still isn't sort of up to par with a lot of the other defenses in the playoffs. You're talking about some defenses that are still stout against the run. Jacksonville has been pretty poor in that regard. So I think if you're Pittsburgh, you can come out, sort of establish the run with Le'Veon Bell, get yourself into some third and three type situations when you keep the playbook completely open and you're not forced to try to get the ball downfield in the vertical passing game. Philadelphia, I mean, excuse me, Pittsburgh loves to put the, push the ball downfield. They'll take some deep shots, I'm sure. But they're going to be much more comfortable playing third and three, third and four, where they can throw crossers, they can hit the back out of the backfield, they can throw pivot routes at the tight end and things like that. And that's going to make it tough for the Jaguars to sort of do what they do best, which is force turnovers, force interceptions downfield. That's what they did back when they played in week three. So I think, you know, we've talked about some of how these games sort of match up and set up. And when you have the run game that the Steelers do going up against this run defense, you know, I think the Steelers should be able to establish the run with Bell, sort of, you know, move away from that historically good pass defense, and that's going to be what allows Pittsburgh to win and move on to the AFC Championship game. Um, going back to Jacksonville, I've, um, and we've mentioned Fournette, we've mentioned uh, Suttering. Um, we, when I'm, I'm not going to explicitly mention Bortles because it seems like everyone at his dog is talking about how he's mastered the art of being a terrible quarterback. But it seems like when he's been... When he's done well in recent weeks, it's been because of Marquise Lee. Now, Lee missed the back end of the season for injury, and he obviously wasn't up at full strength against Buffalo. But if he's back um, running at full speed against Pittsburgh, that's Bortles' favourite weapon. Is that enough to get Bortles back on track? Is that enough for, to diversify this um, Jags O enough? I mean, I, I think it helps. I don't know if it will be enough to sort of... You know, it's one thing going up against Buffalo. It's another thing going up against Pittsburgh, which, you know, they've got in DVOA a top 10 defense. And so I think if even if Lee's back, I think for Jacksonville, similar to what we were just talking about with the Steelers' office, for Jacksonville it is going to be establish that run game, get Fournette going. Then you can build some stuff off of the play-action game. Maybe you take some deep shots and sort of take the top off that defense as well give Bortles some designed, easier type throws, some half-field reads, sort of make him feel comfortable. But I think we we all know that if this game sort of comes down to a shootout of sorts between Blake Bortles and Ben Roethlisberger, that doesn't set up well for Jacksonville at all. So it, it comes down to can they get Fournette going? Can they get that ground game going? You know, Can they sort of establish the run and take the pressure off Bortles? That's going to be the key to Jacksonville to win in this game because I think both teams are going to look to establish the run given the – the defense does well, and whichever team is more effective at doing that, they're going to carry the day. So, um, before we go and give predictions, there's an interesting thing: the Jag season um, only gone, only given up more than 24 points twice. Once of them was an early season match against Titans. The other one was against Jimmy Garoppolo, of course. On the, um, so, does anyone think Jacksonville can hold Pittsburgh enough? No, I do. I don't think so. I don't. 
No, I mean, I I think everyone has fought it since the start of the year, and it's kind of played out the same narrative. I think everyone's expecting it, and it's going to be a Pittsburgh Steelers, New England Patriots AFC Championship game in Foxborough. I yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to disagree. It's hard to back Jacksonville for this just because it's not a balanced team, and they're going up against a very very good balanced team who can beat you in. A variety of ways you could be winning in a variety of ways so and I think it could well be one of those where Pittsburgh just get two touchdowns in about two minutes at some point and maybe midway through the second or third quarter and that's it for the game um so maybe not one to get overly excited about but it's probably the one that will be most watched in the UK 6 p.m Sunday but now on to the big game um, the big game, and I am reaching for my custom Teron Armstead jersey as we speak, because 9.40pm Sunday, we're back in the NFC as my fourth seed New Orleans Saints travel to the two-seed Minnesota Vikings. Um, by conventional stats, so not DVOA, because I forgot to look, um, number two ranked offense against the number one ranked defense. And I am pumped for this game. Um, all over the field, I think there's matchups to get excited about. We've got... a I will stop mentioning offensive lines at some point, but not when I've got my Amsterdam jersey in my, clutched in my right hand because this has been one of the best units in the league and they've done that playing through injuries to Zach Streif and now Andres Pete. Players like Armstead have missed the odd game here and there. They kept Drew Brees pretty clean against a great interior rush in Carolina, but it's that more varied pass rush that Minnesota offer that are giving me as a fan and give, as a jitters and as a neutral sort of palpitations. You've got Linval Joseph. If you've got him sorted in the inside, well, Everson, Griffin, and Daniel Hunter on the outside. Got them sorted? Oh, well, look, there's blitzing linebackers and safeties who we know can and will get sacked. So who do you think has the edge in this battle? Well, I mean, when I look at this game, uh, I, I've been trying to wrap my head around this game for the past couple of days. And when I first look at it, you know, I think you watch how New Orleans has sort of rebuilt and restructured their offense over the course of the season. You've got Alvin Kamara, you've got Mark Ingram, effective both carrying the football and being utilized as offensive weapons on the outside. It's really sort of taken the pressure off Drew Brees. It's allowed him to throw the ball less, but be just as effective, if not more effective, when they take to the air. And then you flip and you look at the Saints' defense and how they've sort of rebuilt themselves defensively. This was a team that wasn't expected to have a good defense coming into the season, but now you look at them fifth best pass defense in terms of DVOA. So they've really rebuilt that defense as well. A little, you know, not as good against the run, but still it's worked for them to get them to this point. But then I sort of flip it and you talk about the number one defense overall in DVOA and that's the Minnesota Vikings. They've had such a great year defensively. They've been able to take things away from what teams want to do, whether it's running the football, whether they're the fifth best run defense in DVOA or passing, whether they're the fourth best, they can stop you in a number of different ways. And then you look at what Case Keenum has been able to do, and there are still some times where you know he's going to make a mistake with the football and throw a pass that he shouldn't, but it's worked to them to this point. So I keep going back and forth on this game, but I think sort of the determinative factor will be it just seems like one of those years where you know the Vikings are on their third quarterback. It's setting up for a potential home Super Bowl for really the first time ever. It just seems like you know every year there's like a team that has that sort of like magic about them. And for me, it might be the Vikings. And maybe that seems like a strange way to sort of plant your flag. But in a game like this with two evenly matched teams, I'm giving the edge to Minnesota. 
Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with Nick there. I mean, like Nick says, I think the Vikings have been the silent assassins all year. I mean, they've been quietly dispatching opponents, going 13-3 and on the way with a group of veterans. I mean, if they had Dalvin Cook or maybe a, a young, hot quarterback, I think they'd be making headlines every week. I mean, I don't want to say it's boring football, but they just play good, fun- fundamental football all over the park. They've got an offense that is able to sustain drives, move the field, and doesn't turn the ball over. And then on defense, I know they don't get the type of hype that the Jaguars get because they're quite a quiet bunch at the reason, like the result results to the talking but like Nick mentioned they're athletic at linebacker big strong quick and disruptive up front which means they can they only have to take four or if they bring a blitzer he's going to get home and then I mean like Nick said there's matchups all over the field I mean they're great in open field tackling so they're going to limit any yards after catch do we think that Kamara's going to be able to get open and in space get the edge when you've got people like Barr and Kendricks covering him and then how does Ted Ginn and Michael Thompson who's had an excellent season how do they match up against Trey Waynes and Rhodes and let's not forget the, forget the biggest snub all season was the fact that Harrison Smith didn't even get in the Pro Bowl I mean he is excellent in both coverage and run, run defense so uh, this is a very difficult one to predict and I've been ifing and ahhing all day but for me, I think I'm going to have to agree with Mark and give the edge to Minnesota. I, the, the one thing that worries me from the Saints' point of view is the run game, well, the running back game, I suppose, as it's more accurately described, is slowing down. Um, Mark Ingram hasn't hasn't topped 100 scrimmage yards in his last three games. Carolina, obviously, they struggled, but he struggled against Tampa Bay and Atlanta as well, which aren't quite the same thing. Alvin Kamara, he's topped 100 scrimmage yards once in the last five, I think. Um which was the Tampa Bay game that they lost anyway. And yeah, 33 total yards against Carolina. And this is a defense that I think can do similar things to running backs that the Carolina defense didn't. And it was only sort of the fact that Carolina had this, was struggling in the secondary, that they've basically got James Bradbury and some decent players beyond him. But it's not in any way the same as the fantastic depth and fantastic starters that Minnesota have. And if... New Orleans can't establish the running backs, then Michael Thomas up against Xavier Rhodes, that's toss it up in the air, but it's easy to imagine that that markup going, that line, the, that matchup going Rhodes' way. And then you've got this issue, whereas who can the Saint, who can Saints rely on from the skill positions for actually, for Drew Brees to either throw to or to take pressure off him? Maybe Steve. Yeah, I'm, oh, go ahead. No, go on, go on Mark. I was just going to throw Sneed's name out there, but... Yeah, I mean, Sneed's an interesting name to sort of consider. And, you know, I think when you look back at, you know, that game last week that the Saints had against the Panthers, the Panthers did a really good job of sort of taking away, you know, Ingram, taking away the ground game. I think the, you know, Saints only had 44, 45 yards on the ground in that game. But Breeze was able to step up and sort of make the throws that you expect to see Drew Breeze make over the past couple of years. Obviously, he had that, that vertical route to get on that sort of dagger concept where he hit them up the seam on the go route. So I, I think, you know, if the Vikings are able to sort of shut down Kamara, shut down Ingram, the Breeze will be able to do sort of enough to keep this game close. I don't think that forecloses the opportunity for the Saints to win the game, but, you know, it will make it a much, much tougher road for them. And if that's Minnesota's game plan to sort of take away Kamara, take away Ingram, you know, it, it will make it a much tougher road for Breeze. You could still do it, but it makes a tough road even tougher. Yeah. And the thing, the thing for me that I think scares me a little bit about, because I, I have backed Minnesota, but the thing that scares me is I look at that offensive line and I look at Cameron Jordan, who's arguably been one of the, if not the top three defensive players of the year this year. And then you look at the outside. Do we really think Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs, you know, great wide receivers, but that's Marshawn Latimer and Ken Crawley out there. So this, this could be one that I think is going to be a nail-biter and probably going to go down to the, the last possession. 
I think the the thing with um, wide receiver matchups is whoever is in the slot has got the advantage because I don't think Lattimore and Crawley, especially not Lattimore, have really got slot coverage down pat. I mean, for a, a lot of the early season, Kenny Vaccaro was playing slot corner. He's on IR now. Um, they might shuffle Von Bell over. They might bring in um, PJ Williams, who for every good game has a pretty disastrous game. So, And, and I do know that Thielen and Diggs, especially Thielen, can go into the slot and they can do damage. So I think that might actually help Minnesota because that's the one receiver that you want if Cameron Jordan's getting pressure. You want whoever's running that shorter pattern. You want that safety blanket. And I think that could be a good matchup. I mean, think about Case Keenum. We've got the main thing that he's done this year is it's just accuracy. He's not suddenly throwing particularly further than he has. I mean, before the season, he was averaging about 6.5 yards um, per I've put per attempt here. I might be per completion. Surely per completion. Um, and he's probably, he's on about 7.5 this year, which isn't small change, but it's not a huge number. It's at 22-7 um, touchdown interception ratio, 67% completion. I think he even got an all-pro, though. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I just feel like that if he's got this... This good matchup, maybe Kyle Rudolph will probably have decent matchups. I think whoever's in the slot will have decent matchups. Maybe he won't turn back into a pumpkin, as a phrase that I use far too much. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, let, I mean, no, go on, go on, Mark. What are you going to say? Okay, yeah, I mean, the thing with with Keenum that's been interesting is, you know, he's been making, I'd say, two throws a game that he gets away with, whether it's just a bad decision or a poorly placed throw. And it hasn't totally burned him yet. He threw some bad interceptions against Washington. But, like, for example, against Green Bay, I think, in their Week 16 game on Saturday night, he had a throw early in that game that should have been intercepted but wasn't. You know, at some point, better defenses make those plays. And you wonder if, you know, he's avoided disaster in the past couple of weeks, if that's if this is the week where it finally catches up with him, where – those interceptable throws become interceptions, and then the Saints' offense gets a couple of short fields against that defense. You know, so if he's able to avoid those mistakes, the Vikings should be okay. But if he does make those mistakes, if he does force those throws or have those poor decisions, and when he gets pressured, he looks to Thielen. That's where his eyes go immediately. So whoever draws that match, I'd assume it might be you know, Lattimore, but maybe not. That's where his eyes go. So whoever's covering Thielen has a chance to make some plays in this game. Yeah, and a big week for Pat Shermer as well, calling the plays. You know, we're hearing a lot of stories that he's potentially the favorite to get the Arizona head coaching job. So maybe if he could put one over on the Saints and bring out every type of exotic look he's he's formulated the last couple of years, then he might be trying to throw the kitchen sink and everything else at the Saints this weekend. So can we get predictions? Mark, do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first on this one. And, you know, as I've said, I've gone back and forth on this game. But I think when it sort of comes down to it, Vikings are going to do just enough. So I'm looking at this game. I sort of see 27-24 Minnesota. Uh, I see Minnesota winning this 23-21, holding Saints to a lot of field goals there. I am going to um, obviously. Well, I am going to take the Saints, um, which is some, I'm not normally a homer. I promise. Um, I am just thinking back to the first the Vikings one and done in the playoffs last season. What happened? End of game field goal miss. What's going to happen the first game that they play in this year's um, playoffs? Kicker not a very reliable one in Kai Fulbath. End of game field goal miss to give the Saints the win. He's had the yips recently as well. So let's let's hope for Minnesota's sake that. Fairly sure 
when he was at Washington, they used on kickoffs because he couldn't kick far enough. And um, this is when it was twenty yard touchbacks. They used to get him to kind of um, kick sort of these like dibbly dobbly things that just bounce along the ground because they couldn't trust him to get touchbacks. So you know, he's not not he's not a great kicker. Um, but in, enough of my homerism and. Um, enough of looking forward. Let's let's look even further forward um, because we've, although we're four teams down in the playoffs, um, these four teams, we're going to have a look at what they can potentially do. One little thing from everyone to see what they can do to get back to go further next year. So that's Kansas City, Buffalo, Carolina, LA Rams. And I want just like one quick sentence and one quick sentence justification. What can each of these teams do um, and why will that help them go further in the playoffs ne- next year? So let's start with Kansas City. Tom, do you want to go first? I said week one, the win over the Patriots was a Pyrrhic victory because they lost star safety Eric Berry, and I maintain that. I think they need to get a cornerback opposite Marcus Peters and get some help on the front seven and some D-line who can work off blocks. Mark? Start Patrick Mahomes. I think it's time. <laughs> I think that Alex Smith, we saw in that playoff game against Tennessee that you know he did let them down at the end of that game the eyes dropped he started to be more conservative which was the knock on him all the time Mahomes is anything but conservative he's I think the better fit for this team going forward potentially Cleveland Browns quarterback Alex Smith as, as, there you um, go. as has been floated around that would, that would probably be the number four pick so they can probably do something with that I'm gonna have to fall back on that because mine was get Eric Berry back and healthy and Tom has stolen that, which, um, given a few weeks back, I stole one of his for something similar. Just Obviously, quick peek behind the curtains. We don't confer. We don't swap ideas beforehand. So let's move on. Um, Buffalo. Uh, Mark, do you want to go first? What can Buffalo do to sure, get and, back and go further? Yeah, and I think, again, you know, being a quarterback guy, I think the answer here is pretty simple. Figure out the quarterback spot because as much as I do like Tyrod Taylor, it seems like he's not the best fit for what they want to do offensively from a schematic standpoint, sort of West Coast-based passing game. So whether it's going out and getting a Kirk Cousins, whether it's addressing quarterback early in the draft, they need to figure out the quarterback spot because this team is pretty good defensively, had a good enough run game, I think, until McCoy got hurt. I think that did limit him against Jacksonville. You know, <coughs> Taylor sort of... You know, Taylor sort of was a an anchor on that offense, particularly in the playoff game, slow to make decisions. So figure out the quarterback spot. I'm going to go before Tom this time, um, so you can't steal it. I think they need to work out how to scout, draft, and develop wide receivers because it's possibly um, Cleveland aside, depending on how you feel about Josh Gordon, the worst um, wide receiver roster in the league, even with Kelvin Benjamin on. And they need to either get the right players in free agency, get the right people in the draft, or help the current people currently on their roster actually run routes, use some speed, catch passes. It's not hard. Tom? I'm going to agree with Mark there. I'm going to say that they have to either go all in on Tyrod Taylor and scheme and mould an offence around his talents, or they have to take one in the draft this year and try and trade up and get one of the big names who's declared. Okay, should we move on to the Carolina Panthers? Um, what can they do? Tom? Yeah, so so Cam Newton absolutely balled out last week, and I'm quite surprised that Mike Shuler got fired, and so did the callbacks coach. So for me, it comes down to getting Cam some help. I mean, I'm not sure what the Rams' plan is with Sammy Watkins. I've seen some rumours they might franchise tag him, but I think the Panthers have got to try and go all in on getting Cam some help and making a bid for Sammy Watkins. Mark, what do you reckon? Um, this decision to perhaps hire Norv Turner as their offensive coordinator, I think... <laughs> is a bit of a question mark because, you know, the, the <laughs> issue there is Turner does favor a more downfield passing game, which I think suits Cam Newton extremely well. But 
he relies on a lot of five, a lot of seven-step drops, which I don't think suit this offensive line well. And so I think if they do bring in Turner, you can do some vertical stuff in the passing game, but don't be so rooted to the five to the seven-step drops that you know really hurt Teddy Bridgewater when you know Turner was the offensive coordinator there. I think the same thing will sort of happen. And curiously enough, a lot of times it was Matt Khalil who was getting beat on those five, on those seven-step drops, who is now the left tackle for the Carolina Panthers. And so if they do bring in Turner, make the downfield deep drop stuff a component, but not the entire basis of the passing game. Matt, Matt Khalil, who was, um, who was dubbed a speed bump by uh, Cameron yes, Jordan. exactly Davis. right. Which is is a is a is a new one that I will um, steal and use to describe um, whichever offensive line Tom Cable is coaching next year. Um, I think the one thing they can the one thing I don't know if it's the one thing they can do. The one thing that I want to see them do. I want to see them work out how the heck to use Curtis Samuel because you've got. I mean McCaffrey. I think I didn't like the way that they used him, but they found an actual role for him in the team and they made him a valuable contributor and he played well. Samuel was basically completely absent and you've got this dynamic threat. You've got this quick player who can basically beat anyone for speed. Um, he's not your sort of typical Cam Newton receiver in that he's not, well, six foot five. Um, but he's got potential to be a really exciting player. And we're seeing more of this sort of... Um, people finally working out how to use these kind of gadget receivers in the NFL. And obviously Tyree Hill's a poster boy for that. But I think a player like that, just working out how to use him, just instantly gives a little bit more uh, more dimension to this offense. Um, anyway, one more team to go, and that's the LA Rams. So, Mark, what do you reckon they need to do? You know, I saw a report just a couple of hours ago that, you know, their general manager said that, you know, working out a long-term extension for Aaron Donald was not their top priority. They need to reevaluate that position because it should be <laughs> their only priority because Aaron Donald, not only is he probably the best defensive tackle in football, he might be the best player in football. Yeah. And you watch what he did against Atlanta. I mean, he almost single-handedly like moved heaven and earth to stop that Atlanta offense. So reevaluate that position, get that long-term extension signed. He's the most valuable player on that team, I think. You know, maybe even more so than Todd Gurley. Get that done. Keep him on your team for as long as you can. Could not agree more about Aaron Donald possibly being the best player in football. Um, Tom, what do you think the Rams need to do? Yeah, Nick, you, you've pounded the table for Donald as the best player in football all, all season, <laughs> essentially. So I, I can see you just glowing there as, as Mark made that analysis. But yeah, Genu- Genuinely glowing, genuinely. Yeah, so mine is kind of similar. I think they need to find some talented edge rushers who can make the most of the attention that Donald warrants inside and the havoc he causes. If you can get someone who can be left with one-on-one matchups on the outside and can actually beat the tackles, then I think that that would improve the overall level of the, of the defense for Wade Phillips. I think they just... What I've got down is just sort of general upkeep. Um, I think in terms of the way they've played this year, they've been that team who is better than just a wild card round team. And just sort of the, the very general things that a team do to improve incrementally in the offseason, sort of signing, you know, keep keeping the best players around, getting in more sort of rotational help. Um, I think that would probably be enough for the Rams to go further. And I think they're going to they're be a team that is around for a long time unless people sort of, Unless it turns out that people just needed a little time to figure out Jared Goff and he bombs next year, but that's complete conjecture. I think, yeah, I, I just think doing that is going to be enough. Um, and I think we will. The Rams are the one of those teams we stand probably the best chance of seeing back and going further next year. Well, that's it for this week. I think um, divisional round. Yeah, it's um, it's possibly 
my favourite weekend in the NFL uh, NFL games, even more so than the Super Bowl, because the Super Bowl, you only get one evening and you've got to take Monday off work because it's on at whatever. Um, so, join us next week for another podcast. Um, in the meantime, check out our website, theinsidezone.com. There's articles going up all week. Um, Tom has... Um, plugged his own um, one on Dick LeBeau and what, how this, basically how the Titans can beat the Patriots. Tom Willoughby's got something up there on the Falcons and the Eagles. We've got stuff on what the Giants need to do. We've got a college football season review. Lots of lots of good stuff. In the meantime, follow us all on Twitter. Um, the the Inside Zone at the Inside Zone um, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Inside Zone UK and we're all on Twitter too I'm at Long Snaps Ranked because I don't want anyone to be able to find my name apparently uh, Tom is at Tom Like NFL and our super special guest Mark Schofield is at Mark Schofield he's got the easiest of all of us um, hope you enjoyed the show Mark thank you so much for joining us it's been really good having someone with actual insight rather than having to listen to Tom blather on <laughs> I just make it up as I go my friends believe me <laughs> <laughs> well i wish i had your blagging skills in that case um hope you enjoyed the show everyone and we'll see you all next week thanks for listening be sure to check out the website at www.theinsidezone.com till next time